Once the church was born at Pentecost, it began to grow. Last week we talked about the fact that God is an unstoppable force, and his church was going to grow. The kingdom of God will grow. His kingdom will come. And so the church began to grow. But as we've mentioned this morning, there's opposition, right? The forces of evil directed by the God of this world, Satan, was going to oppose this growth. And although the war was won at Calvary, until Christ returns, there is going to be battles. Satan is bent on taking as many casualties as he can until Christ returns. And so in the very first church, headed by Christ's disciples, there were hostilities that they had to deal with. Some of those hostilities were external. And we talked last week about an external threat, which was the religious authorities of the day, the Jewish leadership, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, who would threaten And we've considered that the threats by nature really are hollow because God is an unstoppable force and he will bring about his purposes. However, threats will still be issued. Fear will try to be spread. Opposition will raise its ugly head. Some of the threats are external, but... And now for the first time, really, we get an idea that some of the threats will be internal to this first church. Once again, how this first church responds to these threats is instructive to us today. Because we too have threats that are external And we have threats that are internal to the church. So let's pick up the story, the narrative, in chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal seemed pleasing to the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timo, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is our first glimpse into the fact that there's some trouble in paradise. We've read back in Acts 4 what paradise looks like. 
All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. It's just an incredible picture of a community that is caring for itself. But now we get this picture of an internal threat. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? We shouldn't be surprised because we, by nature, are sinful. Our human nature is to look out for ourselves. And so it's not odd that there will be threats to the church from within. This is the threat that Luke writes about in Act 6. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's conflict within the church, the early church, the first church. Church is growing rapidly, and there are some stress fractures. There are some signs of wear and tear as the community grows and grows and grows. In order to understand uh, this growing conflict, we, we need to have some insight into the church's composition or, or makeup. Remember that the first church formed in Jerusalem, which was the holy city, the holy city of the faith, the Jewish faith. And so people would come to Jerusalem for festivals. People would come to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. People would come even to move, simply to move there, to sort of be at the hub or the, the mecca of the faith. And we know that at Pentecost, Luke writes that there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So there were people within Jerusalem for all, from all over the known world, the Mediterranean world. People would come to Jerusalem. It was the place to go to, to worship. It was the place to go to, to, to uh, be together with the community of faith. But, because people came from all parts of the Mediterranean, they came from different cultures. They even came with different languages. So they were all united in the faith, but they were not all united in other ways. There were differences amongst them. It seems that one of the ways of describing the composition of the church was kind of like you islanders and how you describe those who aren't from the island. There's the islanders, the true blue islanders. You know who you are. You got a badge somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. It's tattooed. <laughs> and then there's the rest of us, wannabes. Those from away. This is sort of the idea that we had within the early church. We had the Hebraic Jews. Hometown, Jerusalem. They're from Jerusalem, all right? 
They speak Aramaic. They have Hebrew culture and practices that they follow. Their culture is very Hebrew. People from away, the Thomas who are coming from Iraq originally, and me from Ontario, are no different. We're from away. You see, it's sort of like that in the early church too. There's the Hebraic Jews, and then there's everybody else. And they were called the Hellenistic Jews, or Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic being Greek, okay? They're not Greek, but they have been influenced by the Greek culture. Because outside of Jerusalem, much of the Mediterranean culture was, had been influenced by their history, which included the Greek history. And so, you have Hellenistic Jews from away, and they have their own language. They, they speak Greek, right? That's why part of the, you know, the, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, right? And so, they speak Greek. They come with Greek culture and Greek practices. And so, within the church, there are many different divisions. For instance, you know, the people in the Hellenistic Jews... You know, there's going to be different kinds of Hellenistic Jews. But, basically, there was the Hebraic Jews, and then everybody else, the Hellenistic Jews. You know, nature tells us that whenever there are differences, sin has a foothold. <laughs> We're not really great with difference. Often when there's differences, there's distrust. Often when there's differences, there's bias, prejudice. The worst forms of it are bigotry, hatred, racism. And so you have in this early church a clear difference amongst those who are in the church. The early church is doing its best to be a community that cares for itself and for each other. And so they wanted to make sure that the widows were well taken care of and there was a daily distribution of food. Their church was a lot different than our church back then. But there was a daily distribution of food where they would be taken care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. And those who were not from the island, did I say that? Those who were not Hebraic Jews, those widows were taken care of, but the Hellenistic Jews' widows, Jewish widows, were not being taken care of. This is a huge this isn't racism, this isn't bigotry, but it is bias. <laughs> it's an oversight, but where does the oversight come from? They're not being taken care of. And obviously it's an issue because the Hellenistic Jews complained. There was something to complain about. And so they complained that their widows were not being given... <coughs> being treated equally as the Hebraic Jewish women, or widows, I should say. 
Once again, when there are differences, sin likes to play. And that is because even within the church, even though these folks were sold out for Jesus, these folks had experienced the regeneration. They had been made new in Christ. They were covered by the righteousness of Christ. They were new. They still were dealing with sin in their lives. And where there's a difference, sin has opportunity. The Apostle Paul said these words in Romans 7, 22-23. This is for anybody who thinks that because they're now a Christian, they're perfect. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament realized that he wasn't. He says, For I delight in the law of good and the inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And Paul outlines and describes this inner battle that's going on inside of him between the new self and the old sinful nature. And so it seems that in that first church, things were not perfect. There were differences. And there was sin. And somebody wasn't being treated equally as they should have been. The idyllic utopian society that we read about in Acts 4 is being influenced by sin, by bias. It's important for us to just stop for a second and fast forward to today's church, even this church, New Glasgow Christian Church, any church. We are not made up of perfect people. We are not, because even though we have been regenerated by Christ, better than other people. We are, however, covered by the blood of Christ and holy before a holy God. And so, there is going to be sin in this community of believers. And there are clearly differences. And so we need to take to heart how this early church responded because it will be instructive to us in how we best need to deal with sin in our church and threats in our church. So we have, like that early church, a choice to make. Do we respond in a godly way to this issue that's arisen, or are issues that arise? Or do we respond in ungodly ways? I want to tell you three ungodly ways, not to encourage this by any means, but to identify it because... Quite frankly, churches aren't great at dealing with sin. Some people, when they see sin 
and there are threats and there are issues in churches, they take it as meaning that the church is no different than any other organization. And so it's kind of like a, they see it as a condemnation or indictment, if you will, of the church. And, and, and they call into question, quite frankly, the faith and basically say, well, that institution is no different than any other institution. We're all made up of sinners and, you know, bad things happen. And for this reason, some people, when there are issues, simply leave the church. There are record numbers of people, Christians, who leave the church, who are leaving the church, who are choosing to be Christians outside of the church. That's a really sad commentary. Because the church is God's vehicle through which he is going to bring his purposes on earth. And if we think that we can do that outside of the church, we're foolish. And so, getting out of the church is one of the ungodly responses to a situation or a threat that could arise within the church. Another thing that we see happening is, I call this the Sergeant Schultz approach. Remember Sergeant Schultz, Hogan's Heroes? I see nothing. I hear nothing. I know nothing. Remember that guy? I love him. We pretend there aren't issues. We just will pretend there's not issues. But the fact of the matter is that it would almost be better if, if, if we just left it like that. But the fact of the matter is that we let the issues fester. We just don't address them. <laughs> so some get out, and some just say, I see nothing, I hear nothing. But quite frankly, we let it fester in us. And it is a real issue, and it just grows and grows. It's not dealing with it in a godly way. And then finally... There's addressing sin and, and, and threats within the church in an ungodly way. <laughs> in other words, just being no different than any other institution that deals with issues. And allow alienation, hurt feelings. Um, here's one, compromise. Well, we don't want to deal with that, so we'll just live with it. So there are ungodly ways of responding to these situations that arise. The early church has this issue where it seems that the Hellenistic Jewish widows are not being treated equally as the Hebraic Jewish women, uh, widows. And therefore, it's a real issue. We have to keep in mind that we are not an ordinary organization. We are a supernatural organization. We are unique. We are in a position 
through the resources that we have in Christ, to be exemplary, to be stand out, to stand out, to, to be unique. And so, we can do that if we rely on the Holy Spirit and we deal with issues as they arise in a godly fashion. So I want to close by just saying five things, five things that we can do. And I'm putting this on the leadership largely because each one of us plays a role. Each one of us has a part to play in this idea of dealing with issues within the church. Well, the leadership ultimately have the responsibility to deal with it. And so here's, very quickly, five lessons for godly leaders. When I see how the disciples dealt with the situation that had arisen, I like the fact that they stayed above the fray. And their allegiance was to God alone. Now, you know in the United States right now, there's the, the real issue with partisanship and, and uh, whether or not Donald Trump did something wrong with uh, the FBI Director Comey. And there's all kinds of partisanship. There's all kinds of allegiances. So what they decided to do, it was appoint a special counsel, Robert Mueller. And Robert Mueller is supposed to be above the fray. He is supposed to be objective. He's outside. He's not to be influenced. And so when I look at these disciples, that's what I see them doing. All 12 of them are Hebrews. <laughs> Hebraic Jews. Right? I mean, they, they, they have a bias just by birth. <laughs> right? But the, there's no question here about well, you know, really, the Hellenistic Jews, I don't know if we need to treat them the same. No, I mean, it's not an issue. They're above the fray, their allegiance is to God, and they're going to deal with it. Secondly, they maintain an egalitarian culture. Big word, just means they treat everybody equally. They treat Hebraic Jews the same as Hellenistic Jews. They treat the apostles the same as they do the deacons that are appointed. There's no stature difference. There's no inequality here. It's just, it would be better for us to do the thing that we're called to do, and then we'll appoint seven others who do what God has called them to do. It's not like, you know, we'll get some lackeys to do the hard work. That's not what this is about. This is, they maintain an egalitarian approach. There is no sense in the reading of this that there's sort of like any inequality. Thirdly, entrust others to the division of labor. Trust is an issue for leadership. And sometimes it's really hard to, to trust, to, to let go. But because we're special and we're different and we're unique, we can trust God. And so we should be able to entrust others with this division of labor, at least in this situation it was the division of labor. And so leadership has to be willing to let go. And then next, next, include the stakeholders in problem solving. Now, this, this sounds like some kind of textbook on leadership, but 
This is what I see when I, when I see the disciples and how they were. Include the stakeholders. I love the fact that they say, go pick seven, seven good people to deal with this and then bring them back to us. You know, it wasn't sort of like, well, you know, we want to vet every single one of these people that's being chosen. We want to make the final decision. It wasn't like that at all. I love the fact that they entrusted those who were going to be, that are stakeholders, that are, that are invested in this whole thing, with part of the problem. Here, go, go deal with this. And they did it. I, I want to tell you a, a little story from my last church. Now that, now that, now that, that, that my sermons are being taped, I have to be super careful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dale. I mean, I used to be able to tell lies left off, you know. <laughs> but when I first went to a church, it was called Discovery, and they would all know this. It was called Discovery, it became the gathering house. Really, that was symbolic of a lot of change in that church. But when I went, the leaders were control freaks, right? And most of them left. You know why they left? As one of the leaders, I suggested that we have the stakeholders involved in setting the vision. I kind of have this idea that I believe in the priesthood of all believers. <laughs> I believe that God speaks to you as he speaks to me. And I believe that you can actually have each one here speak into the solution because you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. They didn't like that idea. And uh, it was funny. The guys, the, lead, the elders that hired me, most of them left because I wanted to have town hall meetings and I wanted to kind of, you know, what is what does God, what has God laid on the congregation's heart as our purpose and our vision and our direction? So it's important that we allow the stakeholders to be involved because Christ works in each of us. And then finally, and this is for leaders. We need to maintain the integrity of the mission. And so at the end, they said, bring those seven back, and, and, and we'll pray over them. Right? And so it, it, it's a very organic, it's a very um, trusting process that they went through. And, and it didn't get, you know, like this could have ended that first church. Believe you me. Churches are split over lesser things. <laughs> really, right? This could have done that church in. Because the Hellenistic Jews could have got up in arms against the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews could have become um, uh, was this protective or feeling like they were being threatened. They could have split. You know? We could have all been part of, you know, New Glasgow Hellenistic Church. Right? Because way back when, they couldn't deal with who was going to feed the widows and, and make sure everyone was fed. Right? So the thing is that um, there needs to be a maintaining of integrity of the mission. So there has to be oversight. Absolutely. But there, there, it was such a, a wonderful approach. It's not even, it's like a, and you know what's really nice? It says that in the end, Everybody thought this was a good idea, and the mission continued. 
Actually, the church kept thriving and growing. So, you know, issue averted, right? Problem overcome, because they responded in a godly way. They did not respond in a way where they walked away. You know, these disciples didn't sort of say, oh man, this is going to be tough. I didn't know I had to do this. Jesus didn't tell us that we had to sort of like manage people. People are weird. <laughs> right? They didn't ignore the issue and sort of say, well, I hope it goes away. You know? They didn't react sinfully by sort of like, oh, well, you know, how dare you threaten our leadership? We know what we're doing. How dare you? No. They responded in a godly way. And so I want to just close with this word from Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And I see in that first church a commitment to guard their heart against bias, against prejudice. I see them guarding their hearts because they are so committed to the mission. And so there's a lesson in this for us. As we face internal and external threats, as the church today, we need to make sure that we guard our hearts. Because everything that we do will flow from that. We are part of an exemplary organization, an institution established by God, resourced by God, powered by God. Let us not lose that stature in our world and just become like every other organization. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for uh, these early disciples who were just regular guys. Um, I was just reminded, Lord, of how uh, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, were shocked at Peter and John because they were just ordinary people, and yet they were doing extraordinary things. We are a group of ordinary people. We are a group of people that sin. Lord, I pray that we would use the example that we've seen today, learn from it, and Deal with threats internal and external in a godly fashion. I pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great day. God bless.